Welcome to the 40th episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Today is a little bit of a different episode. There was no UFC card this weekend, so that doesn't give us much to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off by touching on some of the news around the UFC. There was quite a bit of news that came out this week, and after that, I'm going to do some matchmaking. I'm going to look at the rankings for pretty much every division, and then I'm going to match up some unranked fighters, and I have a list of all the fights that have been booked. So I will announce, you know, kind of what fights are happening in the near future and then matchmaking for some of those guys that aren't booked. So obviously, like I said, we're going to start off with the news portion. And the news portion, I'll give you a little rundown before we get into it. We're going to start off with Gable Stevenson, and we're going to talk about that. And is he going to the UFC? Is he going to the WWE? That's going to be our biggest piece of news is Gable Stevenson. And then after that, we're going to talk about Tito Ortiz versus Anderson Silva. We're going to talk about Jacare's retirement. We have a little bit of news on UFC 267. We have some fresh fight announcements that I will touch on before we get into the matchmaking section. And then I'm going to talk about some other kind of interesting things that I did see over the last week, whether I saw that on Twitter or whether I saw it on Instagram. I'll talk about a couple interesting things that I saw this week. So, like I said, obviously to start off, we're going to talk about Gable, Gable Steveson. Now, if you're not aware who Gable is, Gable is a, is a college wrestler and now an Olympic gold wrestler. He won the gold a couple weeks ago in Tokyo. He was down four points with, I think, 11 seconds left, and he was able to pull out a win in the gold medal match. And for those who know wrestling, you know who Gable Stevenson is. Excuse me, I always say Stevenson, it's Stevenson. But Gable is in a really interesting spot here because now he is one of the more popular collegiate wrestlers after his gold medal. And he's going to be a very sought-upon commodity for pretty much any major organization. And... He is someone who is incredibly talented. If you have ever seen him wrestle, I watched his Big Ten Finals match. I think that's a great example of how good he is at wrestling. And he was wrestling Mason Paris, who is from Michigan. And he is also one of the best heavyweight college wrestlers out there right now. Gable broke him. Like, you know, you've never really seen someone of that high level of a wrestler get broken, but Gable was able to do it. Gable is a tremendous wrestler and a tremendous athlete, and he has a strong personality. That's why we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about, is Gable going to do MMA? Is he going to do WWE? Now, if Gable does MMA, we'll start off there. He has already started rolling jiu-jitsu and he has started boxing. So my initial my initial thought on this was, you know, it's going to be a college wrestler coming in and it's going to take him a decent amount of time to have good enough skills to fight in the UFC. Even if you're you could be the best wrestler in the world, but if you've never thrown a strike before, you know, you can get yourself in some trouble especially in the UFC. So 
and we've seen that before. And but Gable has already started that transition, and that is something that I think is very important here. Because anytime we talk about that transition into MMA from college wrestling, there are a lot of hoops that these guys have to jump through. And for Gable, some of those hoops might not be worth the jumping because he has other options. We've looked at guys in the past like Bo Nickel, who there was big rumors about him joining MMA. And with someone like Bo, it's a lot more realistic in comparison to Gable because Gable is going to have a spot on the Olympic wrestling roster for a long period of time. You know, this is more similar to a Jordan Burroughs situation where Gable really has a lot of options. He doesn't need MMA like some of these other um, college wrestlers do. So, and especially for Gable, the one thing that he did say was that he needed to get paid no matter what he did. And he said, because you can't eat legacy, but you, you know, basically saying, you know, you can't feed yourself with accomplishments. You feed yourself with money. And he wants to be well, well set for the rest of his life, and I can't blame him. Now, for Gable, when I hear that, it makes me think that he's going to go into the WWE because with the WWE, you can make a lot more money right away. I don't know what the pay is like in the WWE, but the one thing that I do know for sure with the WWE is that Gable does have less of a transition if he wants to go from collegiate wrestling directly into the WWE in comparison to the UFC. And at this point, I'm willing to bet that the entry-level WWE wrestler is going to make a lot more than the entry-level MMA fighter. When you're Gable Stevenson, you know, you're, you already have yourself a name and you're going to be able to propel yourself a lot faster in WWE because in the UFC, you're going to have to win fights no matter what. You have to win fights. If Gable Stevenson comes into the UFC and eventually, you know, can't win a couple fights in a row, he's going to be a lot worse off. So basically what I'm saying here is that I would be surprised if Gable does decide to go into MMA. There's less money off the get. There is a lot more risk. And when you take that into consideration, I really think he's going to be going to the WWE here soon. And that's if he decides he doesn't just stay in college. He may stay in college, win another national championship. So it's not like he doesn't have options. But at this point, I don't think the UFC is going to be the number one option for Gable. And that's a shame because I feel like the UFC needs to create a system where we can get some of these college wrestlers into the UFC. If you look at guys like Gable and like Bo Nickel, who are guys who are already established names, I mean, you have a loyal fan base in college wrestling. College wrestling is one of the more devoted and hardcore fan bases that that there is. It's like imagine if you had hardcore MMA fans, but there were no casual fans. That is much of what college wrestling is. And 
no matter what these guys are doing, and there is, you know, there is some crossover there. There is some crossover between those hardcore college wrestling fans and those hardcore MMA fans. There is some crossover there. But for a lot of the for a lot of that fan base, I don't think there's that much crossover. But you bring those guys in. Those, like I said, they're very hardcore and very devoted. If Bo Nichols fighting on a Saturday night, college wrestling fans are gonna tune in. If Gable is fighting, college wrestling fans are gonna tune in. So you have guys who already have established themselves a fan base, have already established a name, they've got some credentials. But you can't just sign Bo Nickel and say, "All right, he's fighting him for he's fighting him four weeks," you know, on the prelims. It doesn't really work that way, and that is why we haven't seen as many big name wrestling guys get into the world of MMA as of late. In the past, obviously, we've had some obviously huge names in wrestling come in to MMA. But when they made their transition, there was not as much of a transition. I mean, when you look at some of these guys that have come in, obviously some have gone through, you know, major transitions and become complete martial artists like Cormier, like Romero, like Cejudo. But if you look at 10 years ago, if you were a dominant wrestler, you would have a lot more success in the sport in comparison to today if your only tool is wrestling you're going to be a lot worse off. So I think the UFC needs to develop some sort of developmental plan where they have these athletes under their control in the sense like they would any other UFC fighter where they can't go fight in Bellator or they can't go fight in one, but maybe they could you know, fight in select promotions to help them, almost like a developmental contract. I believe they have some something similar to that. Um, but it's not being used to that effect. You know, I would love to see more of, you know, it's almost like a minor leagues for MMA, which we have. We have plenty of those regional promotions. But when you get guys, you know, who don't really, you know, you can go fight in that minor league promotion, but you're still a free agent when it comes to the major league promotions, the Bellators, the UFCs, the one championships. You know, if Bo Nickel decided to fight regionally, Bellator could scoop him up any moment and feed him a couple bombs, unlike the UFC. So I think overall what I'm trying to say and is just the UFC needs a way where guys like... Bo Nickel, Gable, and the handful of others could still fight regionally while being under a UFC contract so they can't go fight in another major promotion, but they could do other things. You know, just something to where we can have these guys give them time to develop and still be in a situation where they're going to fight in the UFC when they are fully developed as as martial artists. So... The other point that I want to touch on, that's going to be all for college wrestlers and Gable Stevenson. Um, and the next thing I want to move to is we were just talking about young UFC potential and growth. We're going to talk about the complete opposite. And Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz are going to be boxing on September the 11th. Now, this might be one of the silliest things I've ever seen, 
But let's hope and let's pray that Anderson Silva goes out there and just beats up Tito Ortiz. Because who doesn't want to see Tito get beat up? I think it'd be, frankly, I think it would be funny simply because at one point in time when the shoe was on the other foot, Tito campaigned for a trilogy fight with Chuck Liddell, even though Chuck was pushing 50 at the time. And when Tito knocked him out, he acted as if he had just beat Chuck in his prime. And so for that, I think it would be absolutely hilarious if Anderson Silva goes out there and puts on a master class of boxing against Tito Ortiz. I'll talk about this after it, it, it ha- it's done and completed. But as of right now, this is just some silliness that Triller is putting on because these were two guys who want to fight who a lot of major promotions don't want to do business with. So they kind of have to fight off to the side. And that's what Anderson and Tito are going to do. And like I said, I hope Anderson goes out there and puts on a very good performance. And I think Anderson is still in very good shape and is going to have that ability to go out there and still perform well against Chuck, or excuse me, against Tito. Now, the other um, major point we had was Jack Array is retiring from MMA. I think this was a good call. His last couple fights haven't gone to plan, and I think he was frankly losing to guys who three years ago he beats the brakes off of. And with that being said, with the with the injury in his last fight, I think this was a timely exit. This could have gotten much worse. Jack Array could have gone on to lose three more fights in a very bad manner. And I think it's good. Obviously, he didn't go out on top, you know, but most guys don't have that ability. But I think he got out at a very good time. So congratulations to to Jack Array. Very successful career, and I'm happy for him. Now, moving on, we've got news on UFC 267. UFC 267 is supposed to, well, UFC 267 is the big major UFC event that is going to be headlined by Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira with the co-main of Eljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. Now, notice the one thing I didn't say in that sentence was pay-per-view. That's because this fight is not going to be a pay-per-view. This has been announced that it is going to be streamed on ESPN+. I don't think they've made an announcement on if it's going to be on ABC, but it is official that this is going to be a non-pay-per-view. So we'll see if it's on ABC. We'll find that out soon. But like I said, non-pay-per-view, and that is a very interesting decision. And I think this decision, at first I thought this was going to be something very meaningful in the landscape of MMA and pay-per-view. I don't think it's going to have that effect. It looks like they're just doing it because they were going to have two pay-per-views back-to-back, and they've got guys who need to fight for titles. You know, So they're just putting on two great events back-to-back. And one of them is going to be pay-per-view and the other won't. So, um, if this event does well, could it lead to less pay-per-views? Yes, I don't think it will lead to the elimination of the pay-per-view model like some suggest. So, hopefully this does do well so we can see some improvements when it comes to lessening the number of pay-per-views per year. Now... 
The biggest fight announcement, well, we'll say the most surprising, is Yoel Romero was going to fight Phil Davis on September 18th in Bellator, obviously. Yoel Romero has been cleared to fight. If you remember correctly, Yoel Romero was not allowed to fight in his opening round matchup of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament, and that is because he did not pass medicals. He now has a medical clearance. He can fight. He will fight Phil Davis because I'm pretty sure Phil Davis lost his opening round of matchup in the Bellator Light Heavyweight Tournament. If I remember correctly, he was fighting Vadim Lev- Vadim um, Levkov, and he lost that fight, if I remember correctly. Um, either way, Yoel Romero is going to be back, and he's going to be fighting Phil Davis. Um, I'm interested to see how this is going to go. Yeah, Vadim Nemkov was Phil Davis's last loss. Now, I'm really interested to see how this goes. I think that Bellator is going to have a lot of fun matchups in the future with Yoel Romero if he can go out there and get this win. There isn't much to be said on that. Phil Davis, obviously a good first-round matchup. I think he's probably the best fighter who didn't win their opening round of matchup. If I remember correctly, Anthony Johnson won his. Bader won his, and Bader beat Loyota Machida, but Loyota Machida versus Yoel Romero would not be a smart fight to make. And Nemkov won his against Davis. Yeah. So I believe that Davis was probably the best to lose his opening round matchup. And don't, you know, if there's someone better, don't, you know, shove it in my face because I'm not a Bellator mark and I don't pay a lot of attention to Bellator. Um, I only pay attention to the big events um, like Pitbull versus AJ McKee and a handful of others. Now, here is, okay, first thing we're going to, oh, oh. Almost skipped a couple steps. There were two, three fight announcements that have been announced since last week. I'm going to say those three now. We'll touch again on those when we do our matchmaking portion. First being Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlov on September 4th. Daniel Rodriguez is stepping in in place of Sean Brady to fight Kevin Lee on August 28th. And we have, this is the most surprising of them all Dan Hooker is fighting Nazrat on September 25th. Nazrat Hasbarat on September the 25th. Okay. Now, next we have one omission. I was rewatching some Jose Aldo fights recently, and in the last fight I said he did this technique where he pulled the leg front leg back on leg kicks, um, bent at the knee to avoid leg kicks and change the angle so he could check anything that misses. Um, He also did that against Alexander Volkanovsky, so this isn't anything new, but it is something that he did increase usage of against Pedro Munoz. So um, just a little omission there because I caught myself in a mistake when I was rewatching Aldo versus Volk over the weekend. Now... With Aldo, there is one big thing I have seen, one narrative that I have seen, and that is Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor 2. 
Now, let me be frank. I think this is a good idea in about 5% of the situations that um, we could see in the near future. By the time it's time to book Conor McGregor, we we're gonna this is gonna be a different landscape of the UFC when it comes time to book Conor McGregor. Now there's gonna have to be some things that happen for Aldo versus McGregor too to make sense at that time. And right now, I just don't think it's gonna happen. I think for this fight to make sense, I think we need to logically see a reason where Jose Aldo needs to move up a weight class or potentially two. And he needs to do that without going on a losing streak. Because I don't think this fight makes sense if Aldo loses his next three fights and changes weight classes and goes up. That makes it make no sense. Aldo would have to be winning and moving up weight classes. And I just don't think that's something that we're going to see. I think right now, with his last couple performances at 135, there's no reason for Jose Aldo to change weight classes if you're looking you know and the shame is although has already fought a lot of the guys in the 135 and 145 top tier and you know I guess he hasn't fought a lot of the guys at 135 but when you look at the one guy he did fight that was Aldo or excuse me that was Jan Aldo fought Jan and that was not a fight that you know we didn't see a rematch of that fight because it was something that we saw that Aldo could, you know, likely win that fight. I think Jan wins that fight the majority of times. So I struggle to think that he can beat some of these top five guys at bantamweight. So I don't think he's is going to be champion. And when I say he can't beat all the guys at 135 top five, he can beat some of them. I think Font and Sanhagen would be really close fights. I think he would have a legit chance against Aljo. I would be interested to see how he would approach the takedowns and how he would approach being an offensive striker in that fight. Because Aldo gassed in his last fight with a very high pace. And as Aldo has gassed in some of his, um, not as recent, but in the past, he has gassed a little bit. So I would be interested to see how that would be um, approached stylistically and from a game plan wise in between the two. And like I said, I don't really think he can beat Jan at this point. Um, Dillashaw maybe has a chance, but I would favor almost all of those guys inside the top five against Aldo. And but with that being said, I would favor Aldo with everyone, pretty much almost everyone else in the top 15. That's just where I think he stands. So in my mind, that doesn't justify a move up to 145 because I don't think my opinion changes at all. I think right now, I would struggle seeing him beat Volkanovski. I struggle to see him beat Holloway. I struggle to see him beat Ortega. Um, I think he would have a chance against the Korean Zombie. So, you know... Even then, even if he bumps up to 145 again while he was performing well at 35, it's like kind of still at 155. So basically what I'm saying is that I can't in my mind justify a move out of 135, let alone to 155 to fight Connor. 
and I don't want to throw Connor in there with someone who throws leg kicks like Jose Aldo. We'll just be frank with that. Imagine throwing Chris Weidman back in there against Israel Adesanya so Israel Adesanya can chop away his leg. You know, it really doesn't make sense to me. I think when you're booking guys who are coming off injuries, you shouldn't be like, oh, he's coming off a major leg injury. Let's throw him against Jose Aldo. You know, that might not be the smartest business decision right off the get-go. You know, maybe you wait a couple before you throw him in there with Jose Aldo. You know, same with Justin Gaethje. Don't throw Connor in there with Justin Gaethje because Gaethje's going to kick that leg so ridiculously hard that it's, you know, probably not the best thing in terms of making sure everyone stays healthy. Let's just throw that out there as well. So I don't think that's a great idea. Could it happen? Yes. Will I ever campaign for it to happen? I doubt it, but I could be proven wrong, but I really don't think I I would. Moving on, this one is a not a major topic, just something that I thought was interesting that I'd like to share. Habib has signed with a Russian soccer team, and he will now play soccer. Very interesting. I'm interested to see how this is going to work. Is or is Habib going to be like part of the team and playing every match, or is he going to be like J. Cole when J. Cole was playing in the African League where he played, you know, four games and, you know, went home? Because Habib is a, a busy man. He's a busy, busy man when it comes to coaching. So I just thought was that, that was interesting, you know, kind of cool, kind of funny, wanted to share. Now we are going to move on to our matchmaking portion. Basically what I'm going to do is we're going to start it off by giving you a rundown of what fights are currently booked, and then I will give my opinion for who I would like to see booked um, in the rankings that currently isn't booked and who I want to see paired against each other. Pretty simple. Basically, it's just a open discussion where I will give my opinion to you um, on what I would like to see here in the future. I guess it's not an open discussion. It's more me just spewing out the first thing that comes into my mind here for a minute. Now, we're going to start, obviously, at flyweight. At flyweight, we only have three fights booked inside of the rankings. Those are Alexandre Pantoja versus Brandon Royval on August 21st. That is this Saturday. Then we have Matt Schnell versus Alex Perez on September the 4th. And we have Tim Elliott versus Matthias Nicolau on October 9th. Now, obviously... When it comes to talking about who I would like to see booked against who, we are going to start right at the champion and work down from there. Now, in my mind, there are three ways we can go. The first is Divison Figueredo getting the trilogy fight. Now, I am giving you my opinion on what I think should happen, not my prediction on what will happen. What I think should happen is I'd like to see Figueredo move to 135. I just think he's too big for 125. And when every fight you're talking about weight, 
you know, last fight he said he had problems with the weight cut. The time before that, he apparently didn't have troubles, but he did have food poisoning. I believe not the time before that, but, you know, so that would be four fights ago. Four fights ago, he missed weight in his first championship fight against Joseph Benavidez. So right now, when weight is constantly a problem, I think the move to 135 would do him a lot of good. And I think there's a lot of good matches for him at 135. Now, that leaves us two other options for Brandon Moreno. And the first one is the one that I think we should see. And that is Askar Askarov. Askar Askarov has, you know, his last win was a win against Benavidez. And he is someone who I believe is 16-0-1, I believe. Um, but I do think... That Askar Askarov has earned himself a title shot. Askar Askarov is 14-0-1, not 16-0-1. With his last three wins coming over Benavidez, Pantoja, Tim Elliott, and the fight before that was a draw against Brandon Moreno. So he's already got a draw against the champion. And the other fighter, the third option, would be Alexandre Pantoja who I think if Pantoja can go out there and get a win in impressive fashion against Roy Vall, I think that would be a really interesting name to throw in there. However, Pantoja has lost to Askarov. So at that point, I think you give the title shot to Askarov. That's where I went. Brandon Moreno versus Askar Askarov next. And then that leaves us a couple other guys at the top of that division unbooked now the top unbooked fighter after what we just had would be joseph benavidez now benavidez is in a really interesting spot here and for joey b he's lost three in a row that i know of for sure off the top of my head two against figueredo one against askarov and I'd like to see someone get a good opportunity against Joseph Benavidez. And I think if Benavidez can beat someone who's working their way up the rankings, it kind of shows you like, hey, he's not out of this sport quite yet. He is still a top tier 125 pounder. So for Benavidez, I went with David Dvorak. Dvorak is someone who has also been on a string of good performances and I think he is someone who has looked good fought good and I think he deserves a bump up in the rankings and I think that this is mutually beneficial Dvorak gets his shot against a higher ranked opponent and um, Benavidez proves like I said he is still a tap guy in this division so that leaves us not much in terms of more fighters to pair together that does leave us with i had one more fight that i put down that was rodriero bontorin versus samahudiren my apologies 
because for some reason I just can't pronounce a name anymore. Now I went with Rodriero versus Samarudan because Samarudan had a very impressive most recent performance. And I almost went with Rodriero for his... I almost gave him the shot against Benavidez, but I leaned to Vorak just because of that undefeated factor. And Rodriero has lost two of his last three, but those are against Kaikara France and Ray Borg, who are two very good fighters. And one was back in 2020, so it has been a minute. And he's got some wins over some other good fighters like Matt Schnell, which is a tremendous win, and Ralina Pavia, who just beat Kyler Phillips. So while he does have some good wins, I just went with um, Dvorak for that step up in competition. And that's all I've got for 125, moving to 135, which is a very interesting division to look at because there isn't much that's ranked and there isn't much that that is booked, excuse me, and there are a lot of big names left. Now, um, first one could have been thrown in with the flyweights, probably should have been Kai Car France versus Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt's ranked at 135. That's how it landed in this section. Um, Kai Car France is ranked at 125. That's why we didn't talk about him in the previous section. Then that leaves two fights booked. The first being Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan. And that leaves the second being Marlon Moraes versus Marab on September 25th. Now, when it comes to this section, we're going to talk. We got two scenarios that are going to greatly affect how we rank the top five. The first scenario is if Piotr Jan loses, and the second scenario is going to be if Elja loses. Let's start off with this. Actually, TJ Dillashaw is going to get the next title shot, almost regardless, assuming Jan and Sterling don't have to do a rematch for, or a trilogy fight for some reason. Um, Dillashaw is going to get that next title fight, and... Um, that's why we're talking about if Jan or Eljo loses because we need to match the loser now that the winner has been matched. So we'll start off if Jan loses. If Jan loses, I've got Sandhagen versus Font and all the, or excuse me, Sandhagen versus Jan and Aldo versus Font. And the reason that I booked that was because I feel that Sandhagen is in a position where despite his loss to TJ Dillashaw, he he is still one of the best 135-pounders in the world, and you could make the case that he beat TJ Dillashaw. So I don't want to see Sandhagen move down too far in these rankings, and I think that Sandhagen versus Jan makes a lot of sense in the fact that this is going to be a tremendous fight. And... Really, I booked that kind of out of selfishness because I do want to see Sandhagen versus Jan fight very, very much. And I think that the winner puts themselves in a very, very good position to get another title shot. And 
The next two I have is Aldo versus Font, and I have Aldo versus Font simply because I paired this up basically one and two and two and three, or excuse me, one and two and three and four when it comes to um, the guy, the unbook fighters. I would say Jan and Sandhagen are very clearly one and two out of those four, and that would leave Aldo and Font at the three and four, um, so match them against each other. The other scenario which many people think is going to happen, is Aljamain Sterling loses, and we need to pair him up. So if Eljo loses, I went with Eljo versus Rob Font, and then obviously Sandhagen versus Aldo. Now, the the logic does not transfer over from Jan to Eljo, because looking at that, if I had to rank the best two fighters out of those four, the four being Eljo, Font, Sandhagen, and Aldo, I would say that Eljo and Sandhagen are the best two. However, it's a lot harder to justify that rematch that early. And I don't think we need to see it right away. Um, so then that gives you Eljo versus Font. who you Font is someone who does deserve an opportunity and a step up in competition. Eljermaine Sterling provides him with that. And from Font, Eljo gets a fresh face. Um, someone that is not Piotr Jan and is someone who does not leave him far from a title shot if he wins. And then that leaves us with Sandhagen versus Aldo. This is also a tremendous fight. These were the two left over. And I said, hey, this still makes sense. I think that they both are, I'll just mean, yeah, well, Corey Sandhagen is on a slide in a sense of where you know, he lost his last fight, so he would say, oh, he slides in the rankings. Although it's climbing, these two meet. And the winner, you know, if Eldo wins, he proves to a lot of doubters that he is still one of the best at 135 and that he should be fighting for a title. If Sandhagen wins, he puts a very good name on his resume moving forward. So this makes sense for both guys, in my opinion. But that does leave us with a handful of guys who are not booked. Now, the number one fight that I made after looking at those um, scenarios, the first fight was Frankie Edgar versus Dominic Cruz. These are two older veterans who, when you watch them fight, I don't think they are the best at 135. Dominic Cruz's win over... Casey Kenny hasn't aged that well. And on the other hand, Frankie Edgar is coming off a big KO loss. So I think pairing them together really makes sense at this point. Same reason people want Dom Cruz versus Jose Aldo. So is the reason I want Edgar versus Dom Cruz. I just think that these two are at a closer level to each other at the current moment. So pair them up with one another. And then... That leaves us with Pedro Munoz versus Rafael Asuncao. Asuncao has really had a tough go when when it, when we're talking about scheduling. Asuncao has only lost to world-class fighters um, in his most recent losses. Those losses are to Cody Garbrandt. Those losses are to Aljamain Sterling. Those losses are to Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Marais. 
Actually, he beat Eljamain Sterling, he beat Rob Font, and he beat Marlon Marais. He also did drop one to Marlon Marais. So he is split with Marlon Marais with a win over Sterling and Font with losses to Dillashaw, Garbrandt, and Sandhagen. With the three most recent being Garbrandt, Sandhagen, and Marais. And he also did beat Dillashaw and Munhouse, but those were in 2013 and 2014. So a Sun Sao and Munhouse is a fight that makes sense in my opinion because despite Pedro Munhouse and Rafael Sun Sao losing some fights, um, Munhouse has really just lost his most recent fight. And a Sun Sao has lost three in a row to very stiff competition. Um, I still think they're two very talented guys, and I think pairing them against one another makes a lot of sense because somebody's got to win, and then they can start climbing the rankings again. And then the other two more fights, the first being Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stammen. I think this makes sense because these are two guys on the cusp of falling out of those rankings if they lose another fight. But they are also two very talented guys. You have to be at 135. So it's kind of two lowly ranked guys. Pair them against one another. One person gets to stay in the rankings. And then the next fight I had in the last fight for this division was Sean O'Malley versus Cheeto Vera. Let's do this rematch. Let's get it out of the way. I am tired of people talking about it. So let's just book them against one another and we don't have to deal with people talking about it anymore. And let's get it done. Okay. Simple enough. And then at featherweight, we only had two fights booked. So that leaves us with a whole lot to look at moving forward. The two booked... Whoa. The two booked fights, my bad, are Alexander Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega on September 25th. And the other being Edson Barbosa versus Giga Chikadze. That's happening in two weeks, August 28th. Okay. Now, at this point, I think Max Holloway needs to sit out. I am... Not overly interested in seeing Max Holloway fight again. And I love watching Max Holloway fights. I love Max Holloway. And I'm saying I don't want to see him fight again right now. Is because the clo- the longer we wait without seeing a Max Holloway fight announcement, the closer we are to the verdict between Ortega and Volkanovski. And that gives us a clearer picture of where we are going in this division. Right now, if we book Max Holloway a fight... Uh, we're going to have to assume that the earliest that can get booked is, you know, probably the first week of October, maybe in December. We're already halfway through August. So the, we're probably looking at the end of September, um, the end of or the beginning of October. By that point, we know the outcome between Ortega and Volkanovski. So there's no reason for Max Holloway to risk his number one contender's spot and potentially get in a fight where he needs a lot of time to recover. You know, if Volkanovski goes out there and gets a 10 second KO of Brian Ortega, then Max Holloway goes out there a week later and gets in a five round war with whoever. These two are not going to be able to fight again nearly close to each other. 
So we're going to have Volkanovski having to sit around and wait for Holloway to recover. If you're Holloway, just wait it out and fight for the title at the first given opportunity. I think that's what he needs to do. Now, where does that leave us with the rest of the division? That leaves us with Yair versus Zabit. Two guys who have been relatively inactive, actually not relatively, incredibly inactive as of late. Yair got suspended six months, was supposed to fight Max Holloway in his return. Zabit hasn't fought recently. If Zabit is going to fight, there's rumors about his retirement. Um, He needs to fight... Yeah, yeah. Um, now, for the rest of that division, I see the Korean Zombie versus Calvin Cater. I think Cater's getting to the point where we can probably start talking about a return fight for him. We are seeing fights get booked in the month of December. So, for Calvin Cater, I think it makes sense. This is a Korean Zombie. Calvin Cater's still a top a top-ranked fighter in this division. I think he should be treated as such with a good fight against the Korean Zombie in his return. Now, that leaves us with two guys who I think are just outside that range of elite fighters in that division, Dan Ige and Arnold Allen, and I'm not saying they will never be that guy. I'm just saying they are not at that status yet. Dan Ige is coming off a loss to the Korean Zombie. Arnold Allen is coming off a win to Sadiq Yusuf. I think the winner of this fight would propel themselves deep into that title conversation and get a big-time matchup with someone um, that is, you know, Zabi Yair, the Korean Zombie, Cater. And I think they would get a good opportunity off the heels of that victory. And then that leaves us Josh Emmett versus Bryce Mitchell. I paired these two together because they are both injured at the current moment. They're both trying to recover, so when they both get recovered, book them against each other. I think they have similar timetables to return. That leaves us four guys left in the rankings. Bozvar Ivalev, Shane Burgos, that's the first matchup, and Ila Tuporia and Sadiq Yusuf. Now, my original thought was Ivalev versus... Actually, my first thought was Burgos versus Yusuf and then um, have Ivalev and Teporia wait out some outcomes. But I landed on this one first, and I think that's something that makes a lot of sense. Four really talented guys, and Ivalev and Teporia, two top prospects. Shane Burgos is a warrior. Yusuf is a top prospect coming off a loss. Pair them all up against each other. See who rises to the top. That was my thought process on the last two. And then lightweight, there isn't much work to do. These are the fights that are booked. We have the one we already talked about, Dan Hooker versus Hazret Hasperas, September 25th. Then we have Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, November 6th. Islam Makhlchev versus Rafael Dos Anjos, October 30th. Carlos Ferreira. And Grant Dawson, October 2nd. And Armin and Christos Giegos, September 18th. That doesn't leave us a lot to work with. So right now, it's going to be Dustin versus Charles Oliveira. That's my pick for the title. Dustin, I know he's talking about fighting Nate. Dustin, let's fight for the title. That leaves Tony, Connor, 
and Nate. Three names that I think pair them against each other any way, shape, or form. I'm happy. Simple as that for me. And then the last pairing that I had in the rankings were Brad Riddell versus Rafael Fazeev. Two guys just burst into the rankings with some very good performances. Pair them up against each other. Should be a tremendous fan favorite fight. Winner, obviously. Very similar to the last fight. Kareem rises to the top. Okay. And then we have two fighters who names I didn't say. One, Gregor Gillespie. Two, Benil Daryush. I just didn't see a matchup that made sense for them in those rankings. So they're probably just going to have to wait it out, similar to the way Justin Gaethje did in the last round of lightweight matchmaking. Welterweight is one where there's a lot to think about, but there are some fights booked. The fights booked are Usman versus Covington. November 6th, Kevin Lee versus Daniel Rodriguez, October 28th, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler, September 25th, Lee Jingliang versus Hazmat Chubmayev, October 30th. The first fight that I booked after looking at these were was Burns and Edwards. I think Burns and Edwards are the two best guys at welterweight that don't have a fight booked. Book them against each other. Winner gets a title shot. Simple as that in my eyes. And right now, if that fight doesn't get booked, I think Edwards gets the next title fight. And then I've got Luque versus Jorge. I think that would be a favorite, you know, fan favorite fight that would be just absolutely beautiful to watch. And I think that fight would get Jorge a lot of favors considering he hasn't won really his last two wins are Nate Diaz and Ben Askren, who are two guys that the MMA community is not speaking highly upon at the current moment. Um, the win before that was Till, who is someone who isn't in a lot of fans' good graces or high praises either. So I think Luke is someone who a lot of fans are looking highly upon right now. So that would be a good win for Jorge to get himself back in the high praises of the fans. And then I've got Wonderboy and Kiesa after that. Wonderboy and Kiesa both coming off losses. Two guys we have already talked about. I think pairing them up against each other makes a lot of sense. Winner working their way back up and preventing a further slide in the rankings. Loser going to have to fight someone on the come up. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we've got Neil Magny versus Bilal Muhammad. Um... This is just a fight that I looked at and go, well, you know, I guess that's the direction I think makes sense. It was just two unranked guys, and I just had a feeling, and we went with my feeling on that one. And then Jeff Neal, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I think this would be a tremendous fight. And to be frank, um, we were running out of guys to leave to match up. Um, you heard all the names we already talked about. So these were two guys sitting there look, I was looking at going, don't have either of them booked against anyone. And I think those two would make a great fight against each other. So that is the direction that I'm going with that one. And then 
what do we have left in the rankings? That would leave us Sean Brady versus Damian Maya. Sean Brady hasn't been tested yet in these welterweight rankings. I think Damian Maya is a good test to kind of figure out where he's at. Now at middleweight. At middleweight, there are a bunch of fights booked. Those fight bookings are as followed. Paulo Costa versus Marvin Vittori, October 23rd. Darren Till versus Derek Brunson, September 7th. Jared Cannonier versus Kelvin Gastelum, October, excuse me, August 21st. Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dowskis, October 2nd. Sean Strickland and Luke Rockhold, November 6th. Edmund Shabazian versus Nazardine Imovov, November 6th. Now, there's one fight to book, and that is Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. The rematch, that is the most obvious, obvious, obvious title fight I've ever seen in my life that hasn't been booked yet. Book it, get it done. That leaves Jack Hermanson and Uriah Hall without fights booked. And I don't think Hall versus Hermanson makes sense at the current landscape of that division. So they're going to have to wait it out. And that same can be said in the light heavyweight division, which looks very similar. In the light heavyweight division, we have Jan Blachowicz versus Glover Teixeira, October 30th. Magomed Ankalev versus Volkan Ozdemir, September 4th. Paul Craig versus Alexander Gustafson, September 4th. Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann, September 18th. Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill, October 2nd. Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, October 2nd. Now, in my eyes, I've got Yuri Prohaska fighting for the title next. I think he has earned that right, and I think um, either Jan or Glover versus Yuri is a great next fight to have. And, unfortunately, that leaves us with Alexander Rachik and Nikola Kirilov without a fight, and I don't think Rachik versus Kirilov makes a lot of sense. So, um, they are going to have to wait it out. And then at heavyweight, same type of deal, not much to be said. We have Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike, September 25th. Tom Espinal versus Sergey Pavlov, September 4th. Shamil Abudakarikov versus Chris Dowskis, September 25th. Alexander Volkov versus Marcin Tabora, October 30th. Also October 30th, Walt Harris versus Ty Tuifasa. And the next title fight has got to be Surreal Gan versus Francis Ngannou. Now that leaves some names. What is next at heavyweight? I think the fight that makes the most sense at heavyweight outside of the title fight and booked fights is Stipe Miocic versus John Jones. This is a fight for both guys that gives them an opportunity to add another big name to their legacy. Even if there is no title attached, for Stipe to get a win over John Jones, that would prove that he deserves a title shot again at heavyweight, and it would add a massive name to his resume, as he is already the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time. Now, for John Jones, um, Stipe Miocic provides you the opportunity to beat someone many people acclaim to be the heavyweight GOAT. And if you want to be the undisputed GOAT, adding Stipe Miocic, in my opinion, would push John Jones to undisputed, you know, GOAT. I think he passes George St. Pierre. That's who I have him behind right now. In my opinion, I've got John Jones at two behind GSP. But I think if 
John goes up and beats Stipe, even if he never fights for the heavyweight belt, I think he becomes the undisputed GOAT in almost everybody's eyes. And I'm someone who is not the biggest John Jones supporter. I'm not the biggest John Jones fan. Frankly, I don't really like the guy. But I think that a win over Stipe makes him the GOAT, even though Stipe doesn't currently have the belt around his waist. And I also believe that Stipe is a very good introduction to the heavyweight division. I think that for John, fighting Stipe is the biggest fighter you have ever fought. And I think it's a lot easier to hop in there against Stipe, kind of get used to heavyweight, have a fight against someone who's going to be bigger than you. And you can take a little bit more time to adjust as if you were you were fighting Francis Ngannou. If you're fighting in Francis Ngannou and you're having troubles in the beginning, there's a lot more knockout power present. So you would have a lot bigger risk at the current moment. And you don't have to set aside as much time. He doesn't have to wait as long to get that Stipe fight as to if he wanted to fight um, the winner of Gan and, and Ganu. And that leaves Derek Lewis out. Derek Lewis is going to have to sit and wait and see who wins and who loses. Um, I would like, you know, I think the most obvious fight for Derek Lewis is Jarzinho Rosenstrike if Jarzinho can win. If Curtis Blades wins, then we're going to be having a different discussion. But if Jarzinho can win, I think Lewis is going to have a very clear next fight. But if if Jarzinho loses, it's going to be tough booking Derek Lewis because he has fought so many of these guys in the top five at heavyweight. And then that leaves us to the women divisions. And I don't really have as much to say about the women's divisions, unfortunately, because I am getting burnt out. So the fights we have booked for female strawweight are Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez on October 9th and Amanda Hebas versus Jinja Genji Roba on October the 30th. Now, in my eyes, this is the way I see this division. I've got Rose versus Wei Li. I think we should do that rematch because I think at the current moment, Rose and Wei Li are the two best female strawweights. That's why I've... That is my opinion for why those two should fight. And then I think the next best two are Joanna Jonjacic versus Carla Esparza. I think that those are two who um, they would be in a number one contenders fight. And I think winning that would push them over the edge to a title fight. And it would take some of the cloudy um, vision that we have looking at this female strawweight. Because looking at the female strawweight division... You could make compelling matchups for Whaley, or compelling arguments for Whaley, Joanna, and Carla to fight for the belt. I think pairing up Joanna and Carla obviously would mean the winner fights for the title next. Female flyweight, um, the booked matches. Oh, excuse me, I'm not done with female strawweight. I also have Nina Nunez versus Claudia Gadelia. These are two women who haven't been fighting as much, who are very experienced. I think putting them against each other is a similar to Frankie Edgar and um, Dom Cruz. Obviously not quite to that extent, but same basic idea. Now, um, I didn't book the rest of this female strawweight division because I really struggled and I didn't know who to book against who. You've got Amanda Lemos, who is someone I think very highly of, 
and you know needs to move up in the rankings. But you also have Tisha Torres, who just had a very good performance and I think needs to move up. Um, Michelle Waterson, um, I didn't know what to do with her. I it didn't feel right doing Lemos versus Waterson. It didn't feel right doing Torres versus Waterson. You've also got Angela Hill and Felicia Herrig. Um, those two, I guess, you could pair together. But, you know, there just wasn't anything that stuck out. And I was like, ah, that's the one. It just wasn't there for me when it came to booking the rest of that division. And then moving to female flyweight, we've got Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy on September 25th. Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo on September 25th. Joanne Calderwood versus Alexa Grasso on November 20th. Also, there wasn't much that stuck out to me in this women's flyweight division because I don't quite, you know, get how they match make and got to the decisions for those. Um, obviously, the best fighter not booked is Chukagan. But for Chukagan, for, for Chukagan, it's like, who do we book against Caitlin Chukagan? Because she lost to Valentina in a very dominant fashion. So I'm not overly bullish that she will ever be the champion while Valentina is in town, you know. But she has also beat Viviane Arjuno and Cynthia Calvillo in her last two fights. So it's just, what are we doing with Chikagan? Maybe Jennifer Maya makes sense, but Chikagan did beat Jennifer Maya back in 2019. It's just that we've seen all these matchups for Chukagan. She's fought Andrade. She's fought Valentina. She's fought Jessica I. She's fought Jennifer Myers. She's fought Joanne Calderwood. She's fought even Alrina Eldana. She fought Lauren Murphy. That was a long time ago. Um, you know, that was back in 2016, but they still fought. So there just wasn't anything that stuck stuck out to me for Chikagan. And, you know, Jennifer Maya, same deal. Um because everyone is booked up until Arjuno, and I don't think that our, you know, I guess that's a fight you could make. I do like that fight, Viviane Arjuno versus Jennifer Maya, but you could make the argument that Arjuno needs to fight someone lower in the rankings. You know, Roxanne Mataferi is sitting there. Um, she'll probably end up fighting Andrea Lee or Talia Santos. Miranda Maverick needs to move up in the rankings. Barbara's going to end up moving in the rankings. I'm just struggling to um, book the rest of that. And then moving to female bantamweight, we've got Kinazad versus Raquel Pennington, um, Ketlin Vieira versus Sarah McMahon, Espen Ladd versus Macy Chizone. Um, obviously, we're going to get Nunez versus Pena next. And then from that, I don't know where we're going to go. It's just looking at this, you know, Gianna Kutsiaka just announced her pregnancy. So she's going to be out. Um, do we do Duranime versus Holm? That seems like a matchup that we've had, you know, you know, that, that we did have that, and it didn't turn out great, you know. And then moving, and then a lot of that is booked. What do we do with Misha Tate? Um, I said Tate versus Kutsayaka. Kutsayaka's out, obviously. Um, you don't do Tate versus, you know, anyone lower than 10 in the rankings. That doesn't make much sense. So there just isn't any matchups in that division that stick out to me that I think needs to be made. So I didn't, you know, the whole point was for me to say what I thought needed to be done. And if I don't, you know, know or have any opinion, I'm not going to have anything to share. 
and we might as well, while we're here, while we got the cameras rolling, I might as well give my opinions on this week's UFC card and do a little breakdown on that to end the show like we do every other episode. This week's fight night is headlined by Jared Cannonier versus Calvin Gastelum. Listen, this fight, in my opinion, is all Jared Cannonier. I think Calvin Gastelum is going to make it a scrap like he always does, but I lead, lean Cannonier very heavily. He is someone who has always impressed me, and his last fight against Whitaker, he fought that fight with a broken arm. So when you do that, I think that he is ready to get in a war with Calvin Gastelum. I think he comes out on top. And then the fight that should be the co-main, but that isn't the co-main, we have Alexandre Pantoja versus Brandon Royval. I talked about this a little bit earlier. Pantoja could steal a title shot right from Askar Askarov or Davison Picaredo if he gets this win. But this is going to be a really exciting match. I love watching Brandon Royval fight. I love watching Alexandre Pantoja fight. Um, at the at the current moment, I lean Pantoja. Um, but I'm not surprised if Royval goes out there and gets a win. There isn't really much else. On the main card that I want to touch on, um, those were the only two fights that are really sticking out to me. And on the prelims, we have William Knight versus Fabio Charant. Um, those are two guys who I think have interesting um, futures in the UFC. I think that the winner of this fight is going to set themselves up to be one of the better prospects at light heavyweight. Um, William Knight is someone who I, you know, have liked some of his recent performances. And I think if Fabio Charant can go out there and beat him, I think that proves that he is someone not to be messed with and is someone who can create themselves a future at 205. So I'm very interested to see that fight. That's the only fight on the prelims that really um, stuck out to me. I'm still going to be watching this card, even though there wasn't too much that um, I was overly interested in. So there's that. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Head KO Podcast. I know this isn't a traditional episode. It's a little bit different. Um, I'm sorry it came out late. Um, I was waiting to see if any more news on Gable Stevenson and any more fight bookings. I ended up recording on Monday. So sorry it's running a little late. I also apologize if you heard acorns hitting the top of my, um, the building I record in. I don't record in my house. I record in a little outdoor building at my house. So um, you could hear the acorns hitting the top. Sounded pretty bad. But it happens. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, this is also saying goodbye to this studio for a couple months. I'm going back to college. I'm going to be at the original recording, I guess not studio, it's not a studio, it's a room, um, going back to the original recording room, so this is not going to be that different, we're still going to have the same banner, um, it's not going to look that different, camera angle might be slightly different, um, table will be a little different, same tablecloth, same microphone, same computer, same flag, you know, same white thing behind the flag. So, nothing too crazy going on in terms of moving, but just a heads up in case you noticed any differences and we're like, what the hell is going on? That is a difference. Went back to college, so we are going to be in the college apartment, not the at-home 
um, recording room. And that's just a heads up on that. Was there anything else that I needed to touch on? I don't think there was. But if you are still listening to this podcast after at least an hour and me talking about how I'm going to college, um, please do me a favor and like and subscribe because we made it this long. Um, that's why I do the like and subscribe at the end because if you made it this long, you should want to like and subscribe because you do like and want to see more. So if you do want to see more, I will be back next week talking about Jared Cannonier versus Kelvin Gastelum. So don't miss that. And then we're also going to be doing a breakdown of Giga Gatze versus Edson Barbosa on that um, episode as well. So make sure you tune in and thank you for watching the 40th number 40 already. Um, the 40th. Thank you for watching the 40th episode of the Head Kakao podcast. Goodbye.